1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12. I just, I just cannot wait to unpack this with you in 1 Peter 10, 1. Uh, I mean, 1 Peter 1, verse 10, 11, and verse number 12. It's a grand story. And it uh, occurred on a summer's day in the late 19th century. A city boy was visiting rural Scotland. That afternoon, he went to swim in a countryside lake, dove in, swam out from the shore. And when he got out pretty far, a cramp just seized his body, and he couldn't swim. So he's, he was in great pain. He started screaming for help. And a farm boy nearby was working in a field, and he heard the city boy's screams. He ran to the lake. He dove in. He swam out and rescued the distressed boy and, of course, brought him back to the shore. And years later, the two met again, and the city boy still thankful to the farm boy for rescuing him. Uh, he, he asked him what career he had decided to pursue. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to pursue medicine. So the city boy's family was very wealthy, and they decided to pay for the tuition of, of the farm boy uh, in, in his pursuit of, of medicine. And in 1928, this farm boy, who then was a physician and bacteriologist, he discovered the wonder drug penicillin. And in 1945, he received a part of the Nobel Peace Prize for discovering penicillin. And that farm boy turned scientific researcher is none other than Alexander Fleming. And the city boy that he saved was none other than Winston Churchill. And during World War II, Winston Churchill contracted pneumonia, and he recovered via penicillin. <laughs> so it's like Fleming saved Churchill twice. Uh, that's a great story. It has been in recent years um, called to be a myth and not a true story. Some of the account may be true. We just don't know what is true and what's not. When we get to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, uh, Peter says, concerning this salvation. The salvation that Peter is referring to here is not Churchill being saved by Fleming. It's the church being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is not a myth. <laughs> this is truth. And Peter says, hey, church, what we need to take a moment and we need to consider such a great salvation. And Peter does something very fascinating in these three little verses. He highlights four divine agents that we're going to look at. Prophets, apostles, the Holy Spirit, and angels. And each one of them, the, the role they play in this great salvation. So I want to speak to you on the subject for just a few minutes uh, this morning. Salvaging salvation. Salvaging salvation. Uh, to consider. I mean, think about how... Th there are few words that are more comforting, more assuring more hopeful than the word salvation, right? I mean, man, it must be great to save a life. 
even greater to save it twice. But here, this great salvation. So I want to read these three verses. You follow along, and then we'll unpack it together. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, let's look at this together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it's on the screen. So here we go. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace... Somebody say grace. Isn't that a great word? Grace. Wow. That we get what we don't deserve. Undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Why would God pour out His grace? And so the prophets, they were prophesying about this grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, verse number 12, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Father, we we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray today that you would open our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would move us to a place of decision today. God, we ask it in the only name given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus we ask. And God's people said, amen. Here's our takeaway today. Never take God's saving grace for granted. Never take God's saving grace for granted. Now, when it comes to grace, we have common grace. Somebody say common grace. Yeah, the sun rose. When the sun rose today, who did the sun rise on? The young and the old, right? It rose on the, uh, the, the, the righteous and the unrighteous. The, the wicked and, and the holy. But when it rains, it rains on both the righteous and, and on the wicked, the unrighteous. But saving grace is... The redemptive work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, dying in your place and mine, being buried and raised to life. This this is saving grace. And, And so, Peter is making it clear, hey, we should never, ever take God's saving grace for granted. Ever. And so, I want to help us. Uh, with these four divine agents and how they help us never take God's grace for granted. So here's the first one. We are more privileged than the prophets. Well, when you think of the Old Testament prophets, uh, I wonder what your favorite or who your favorite prophet is. Maybe yours is Elijah. Or maybe your favorite prophet is Jeremiah or Isaiah. Or maybe it's Daniel 
or maybe it's Joel or Zechariah, or just go down the list of all the, these Old Testament prophets. You, you ever wonder what it must have been like to be an Old Testament prophet? I mean, take 25 or so of these, uh, of, of these guys and, and, and think about them trying to put together a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. I, anybody like jigsaw puzzles? My girls love doing puzzles. Think about a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. And, and you're trying to put that together, but you don't have all the pieces. And you don't have the picture on the front of the box. That's, it's going to be hard to put a jigsaw puzzle together if you don't know what the picture is supposed to look like and if you don't have all the pieces. And that's what it was like being an Old Testament prophet. David had a few pieces. Daniel had a few pieces. Isaiah had a few pieces. Jeremiah had a few pieces. Zechariah had a few pieces. Joel had a few pieces. But even combined together, they didn't have all the pieces. And they didn't work together. Many of them didn't know each other. They lived hundreds of years apart. How are they going to put all these pieces together? And so th this is what Peter is talking about when he says the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. They searched their own writings. They searched the writings of other prophets, and they tried to piece it together. And, and just think about all the different pieces. Walk, walk, walk with me through this for a moment. Think about this. Isaiah prophesied that the Christ would be born of a virgin. And by the way, when it says in verse 11 that they prophesied about the grace, that they prophesied about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. That's who they were prophesying about. And so Isaiah prophesied the Christ would be born of a virgin. Micah, he prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. Moses prophesied he'd be born in the tribe of Judah. Isaiah prophesied that his ministry would begin in Galilee and that he'd work uh, miracles. The psalmist prophesied that he would teach in parables. Zechariah prophesied that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. The psalmist prophesied that he would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah prophesied that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The psalmist prophesied that he'd be accused by false witnesses. Isaiah prophesied that he'd be wounded and bruised. The psalmist prophesied his hands and his feet would be pierced. The psalmist also prophesied that his bones would not be broken. Isaiah prophesied that he'd be crucified with thieves. Uh, Zechariah prophesied his side would be pierced. Isaiah prophesied he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, the psalmist prophesied he would rise from the dead. So you've got all these different pieces that each of these prophets had... But none of them had all of them, and they certainly didn't have all the pieces. And so Peter says, listen, they searched and inquired concerning this salvation, concerning the salvation of your souls, the outcome of your faith, they searched and inquired very carefully, that they wanted to know. And think about the over 300 prophecies of the Christ in the Old Testament. They're fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. So let me say this to you. Have you, have you ever read the Bible and thought, man, what did I just read? 
You ever done that? You read it and think, what's that? Read it again. Man, I, read, I don't understand. What, 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 am, what, what am I reading? Let, let, let me help you. When you read the Scripture, you need to read it with an eye set on searching for Jesus. I don't care if you're reading Gen- Genesis to Revelation. Look for Jesus when you read the Bible. The, the Word of God is about Jesus. 66 parts all pointing us to the person of Christ. Every one of them. And we know that because we are told that here in 1 Peter 1. They searched and inquired. They wanted to know what you and I take for granted. They wanted to know who this Christ would be and when this Christ would come, we're told in verse 11, that what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories. So what were these prophets? What was the Holy Spirit inspiring in these prophets? You know, even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, do you remember what he said to Jesus? He said, he said this in Matthew 11, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? He, he wanted to know. They searched and inquired carefully. What we take for granted that they wanted to know. If such a great salvation was so precious to the Old Testament prophets, shouldn't it be precious to us, the church? Shouldn't it be I mean, listen, if Jesus gave his life for the church, shouldn't we give our lives to the church and to him, the head of the church? Of course, yes. But so many of us, I'm guilty all the time of taking God's saving grace for granted. I mean, these guys spent their lives searching and inquiring carefully of these things. You know, Peter writes in 2 Peter that no prophecy was ever made by man or an act of the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So these prophets received the prophecy they received from the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand all these prophecies, but they stood under those prophecies, and they trusted the one who told them. They trusted him, and they believed, and it was counted unto them as righteousness. And notice what the Holy Spirit told them. This is how we know the whole Bible is about Jesus. How do we know that? Because here's the message that the Holy Spirit prophesied to or gave to the prophets as their prophecy. Notice verse number 11. When he predicted the suffering. Somebody say sufferings. The sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Here's what, here's what that means. The Holy Spirit told these prophets, inspired them to prophesy the gospel. The cross before the crown. Sufferings before glory. Now, first century Jew didn't like that. Peter, who wrote this? Peter, who wrote first Peter, didn't like that. He rebuked Jesus. 
for telling them that he was going to go suffer and die. Peter said, that's not going to happen to you. No, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. First century Judah didn't didn't like a, a Messiah who would suffer and die. But that's the gospel. Sufferings before glory. Listen, the gospel is not God loves you. Church, that's not the gospel. Does God love you? Yes, God loves you. Is that the gospel? Absolutely not. The gospel is not God loves you. The gospel is God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for you. He suffered on your behalf and in your place. That is the gospel. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit gave to these prophets. It's not different in the Old or the New Testament. It's the same. We just have more revelation of it in the New Testament. And even more on this side of Jesus' resurrection and His ascension. And his enthronement. See, that, those were the glories. The glories where Jesus would be resurrected, ascended to the right hand of God, and is enthroned at the highest place anyone can be enthroned. Those are the glories. But the sufferings came before that, which is good news for the elect exiles of the dispersion. It's good news for us who are strangers in a strange land because we're suffering. We're dealing with trials and difficulties. And for a little while, we're going to suffer. But praise the living God, glory is coming. Glory is coming. Just like it came for Jesus, it's coming for us. That's encouraging. And that's good news. And this is what the prophets, man, they just searched and they inquired and they wanted to know what it is that we just take for granted. And so notice verse 12, the first part of verse 12. It says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. You mean to tell me God put the prophets to work for us? Yeah. (laughs) And they knew what they were writing was not only for them but for future generations. They understood that. And they knew that. And so as as I'm reading through this and I'm studying this and I see... What Peter says about the Spirit of Christ and the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And I'm thinking, man, our worst day, our worst day with Jesus is always better than our best day without Jesus. I mean, your worst day on this planet as a follower of Christ, your worst day of suffering and trial and difficulty Man, is, is infinitely better than your best day without Christ. Glory's coming. It's coming. Sufferings won't last forever. It's just a little while. In fact, here's, here's what Jesus said about the last prophet. John the Baptist was the last prophet. And here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. And then this is what he says about us. He says, yet the one who is least, least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. <laughs> in other words, those physically born, there was none better than John the Baptist. But every person born spiritually is greater than he. Wow. 
Now, with this incredible truth that we're more privileged than the prophets comes a great responsibility, a a principle we see all through Scripture that those who have been given much, much will what, church? Be required. We don't like that, but that's the truth. (laughs) For those who have been given much, much will be required. So here's the second help. Uh, We are as accountable as the apostles. We are as accountable as the apostles. I love grace. Grace, grace, grace. I love to receive it. I love to give it. I love grace. This um, idea that we get what we don't deserve. You know, John Newton, he he wasn't joking, was he, when, when he called grace amazing? He wasn't joking, was he, Brad? Amazing grace. Man, it's amazing. And yet, we get so hurried in our lives, don't we? That we'll go days, we'll go weeks, we'll go months, maybe even years without ever referring to our salvation. I mean, when's the last time you told somebody that you're saved and shared that experience with them? When was the last time that happened for you? I mean, but we, we, just get, we just get hurt. I received a text message today from one of our church members. It said, Pastor, today I'm 11 years old. I was born again 11 years ago today. You know, I mean, do, do, do you celebrate that spiritual birthday? I mean, do, do you think about that? Do you share that with other people? That, that's, why, that's why I think it's... It's so fascinating when, when you get to Ephesians 6 and you read about the, the armor of God. And, and one of the pieces of the armor of God is known as the helmet of salvation. Right? The helmet of salvation. I love that picture. And I'm so thankful that that piece of the armor, the Holy Spirit tied to salvation. The helmet of salvation. I think about football helmets. And I think about the Pro Bowl. In the NFL, and uh, you have those two teams in, in, in the Pro Bowl, and they, each team is wearing the same uniform, but every one of them has a different helmet. Or they're wearing the helmet of whatever team they play for. So if there's more than one player on the same, uh, pro, uh, the, on the same Pro Bowl team that they play in the season, they'll have the same helmet on. But otherwise, they're all wearing the helmet that represents the team that they represent. And it's just a great reminder that our helmet of salvation should be front and center. We We should never take God's saving grace for granted. And the apostles did not do that. They just did not do that. Peter even describes himself, look at verse 1 in 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He just identifies himself, this is who I am, I'm in Christ, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus, I'm no longer Peter, I'm an apostle of the one who has saved me. And so these apostles were accountable, they were accountable to share what had been revealed to them, and buddy, they did it. And in fact, notice verse 12, it tells us, in the things that have now been announced to you. So the prophets foretold the gospel. The the apostles told the gospel. They pronounced it. They proclaimed it. They announced it. 
They preached it. Peter preached at Pentecost. He preached the gospel. He preached that Jesus is Lord. He preached that at Pentecost. And then you have Paul and the twelve. They preached. Timothy, Barnabas, Philip, James, Jude, Stephen. They preached. They were sent out by the church to preach this gospel. And boy, they did. And here we are. We have more revelation than they had. Because now we have the whole New Testament. And we're as, if not more, accountable than the apostles to make known this great gospel message. I love what Augustine said about the Scripture. He said, the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. Well, isn't that the truth? Our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to be, we need to be making this known and inviting other people to participate in this citizenship and be saved by this glorious good news. Now, there's stuff in the Bible we don't like. There's stuff in there I don't like. Right? Tanya was messaged by some folks we know in Mississippi, and they were pretty distraught about their church, got a new pastor. Um, he's, he's been there for some time, and, you know, some changes and those things happen. Anytime there's a transition, but one thing that bothered him so much, he said, you, you won't believe this. Our, our pastor believes that people that aren't saved, when they die, they go to hell. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. That, that's not a warm and fuzzy truth, but it's truth. Those who die outside of a relationship with Christ, tragically, we're not happy about it. It breaks our heart, but they go to hell. Hell is a real place. We don't like to think about it. I get it. But it's a real place. But, but here's the beauty of this gospel. When we think of the justice of God, here's, here's what happens when you consider the doctrine of the justice of God. That there is punishment for those who reject Christ. That Jesus took on our punishment. For those who trust Christ, justice is Jesus paid your penalty and you don't have to pay it. Praise God. But for those that, don't, that, that do not trust Christ, they're going to have to pay the penalty. And here's what you believing in this truth about heaven and hell and the justice of God. Do you know it'll keep you from getting bitter and angry? Because you know one day it's all going to be dealt with. This, this sets us free. We still are accountable to make these truths known because they've been revealed to us. And he or she who has been given much, much will be, mm, we don't like that, but that's the truth. So let me ask you this question. Where today, or maybe even this, who today? Are you being called to, to make God's invisible grace visible? Where today are you being called to make God's invisible grace visible in the life of someone near you? Where is that place and who is that person? That you're being called today to make God's invisible grace visible. Who or where? is that person or place. Because we're all called to that. 
We're all called to that. So who is that? Number three, here's the third divine agent. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a fascinating truth. We are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Did y'all hear that? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Him, then the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart and life. What? Yes, He has inhabited you. He abides in you. He dwells in you. Now, listen, there are certain species that inhabit certain habitats, right? I don't know if you saw this video. It's, it's gone viral over just millions of views. I don't know if you've seen it, but I saw it this week a couple of different times about this husband that saved his wife from being attacked by a bobcat. Did y'all see this video? That he, he, it's early in the morning, he, he goes outside, he's getting into his car, putting some stuff in his car, and you see his wife come around the other side of the car, and then this just screech, and she starts screaming, and he runs around to the other side of the car and picks up this, this, this cat, this bobcat, and, and walks out into his front yard and just throws this thing across his front yard. Listen, bobcats... They don't belong in our front yards, do they? That's not the habitat they're to inhabit. It's just not. And to think that the Holy Spirit of God would choose to reside in broken people? Does that make any sense at all? Maybe this is why the angels are looking going, what is going on? Amazing. And twice here, twice here, the Holy Spirit is referenced. In one, the Spirit of Christ is referenced in in inspiring the prophets. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit is referenced in inspiring the apostles. And the Holy Spirit indwells us believers. Just an incredible thought. One, One has said it this way. Christianity is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. Hopeless. No hope. And the theme of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether he was inspiring the prophets in the Old Testament or the apostles in the New Testament, the theme of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is salvation. (laughs) The whole theme of the Bible is salvation. The whole theme of history, the purpose of history His story is salvation. And so Peter takes a moment and says, Hey, concerning this salvation, this has been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And the good news is, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, inspired to the apostles by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. This tells us that the redemptive plan of God was not an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a last-ditch effort to save us. It was put in place at the foundation of the world that Jesus would come and live a perfect life without sin. And he would come to love people. And those same people would drag him out of the city, nail him to a tree. He'd breathe his last on that cross they take him down and bury him in that, that, that barred tomb. And he would be raised to life. And, 
Anyone who, who believed in him and put their faith in him would have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit inspired these, these apostles to preach and announce and proclaim and make known this good news. See, here's what we realize when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we realize in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit that, that our God is not a God who adopted. He's a God who adopts. He's not a God who merely comforted. He's a God who comforts. He's not a God who delivered. He's a God who delivers. He's not a God who heard or, or, or helped or loved or redeemed or saved. He's a God who loves, who hears, who helps, who redeems, and who saves. And the Holy Spirit communicates that to us. He helps us see that and understand that. And he helps us make that known. He empowers us and equips us. Man, we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Here's the fourth divine agent. These are the angels. Now, this is an interesting part of this text. The, the angels long to look into these things. What in the world? Think about that. That's, that's like superheroes longing to look into our lives. You know, our family, we've been watching some of this, um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. We've watched a few episodes of that. And I have one takeaway. Captain America, he, he'd probably be pretty good at disc golf, wouldn't he? You know, we have a fascination with superheroes. And it doesn't matter if it's Spider-Man or Superman or Batman or Captain America or whoever, whoever it might be. We have this fascination with these superhuman heroes. And it's, it, it's almost fascinating to read this and think the angels, which by the way, we were made a little lower than the angels, Okay, But remember, Paul says when we get to heaven, we're going to judge the angels. So I don't know what really all that means. I, I do know that there's some kind of change when we get to heaven in our status and role because we go from being a little lower than the angels to higher above the angels. Why? Because we're going to be like Christ in, in, in heaven. And he's, of course, higher than, than all. But when you think about angels looking into these things, which means they, the, the, the verbiage here, look into, means they stood on their tiptoes and they, they're outstretching their neck and they're, they're, they're wanting to get a look into our salvation. Why do they want to look into our salvation? The word can also mean to stoop down, like Peter and John, they stooped to look into the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus. Why, why, why are the angels want to be so intent about looking into our salvation? Shouldn't it be us who, who, who look into the things of angels? We have a fascination with super beings. And, and here, by the way, there's, there, there's two types of angels okay, in Scripture. There's the holy angels and the fallen angels. Or the holy angels and demons. And this right here is referring to the holy angels, not the demons. And they're looking into our salvation. 
Kind of like there's two different types of people that attend a Christian funeral. Two different types of people attend a Christian funeral. One of them is those that attend a Christian funeral to say goodbye. And those that attend a Christian funeral to say, I'll see you later. Right? That's a huge difference. So with these angels, there's a huge difference. One, one are holy angels and one are the demons. The, these are the holy angels. And they want to look into our salvation. And when you think about angels in regards to salvation, you have to stop and think and consider that the angels have always been mesmerized with God's dealings with our planet. Job even tells us at creation, the angels uh, shouted for joy. We know that angels were guarding the, the, the Garden of Eden. Uh, we know that angels saw Lucifer fall. They, they, they visited Abraham. Uh, they helped Hagar. They ascended and descended on Jacob's ladder. We know angels ministered to Elijah. Uh, we know an angel heralded the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And an angel told Joseph to marry Mary. An angel announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. We know that angels ministered to Christ after his temptation and after his agony in Gethsemane. We know there's 12 legions of demons ready to rescue Jesus from the cross. Uh, we know that they were present at his resurrection, as it, at, at his ascension, they were present. We know when one sinner repents, when one sinner repents, there's much rejoicing among the angels. They've always been around salvation, but they've never experienced it. Because salvation is not for the angels. The holy angels don't need to be saved. The, the, the demonic angels, they can't be saved. Salvation is for one group of people. Those who are made in the image of God. Salvation is only for you and me. Only for human beings. When you die, you don't become an angel. Please hear me. Nobody gets their wings and becomes an angel when they die. Now, will we get new bodies one day? Yes, absolutely. I don't know what they'll look like. But it'll be better than this earthly tent, praise God. But these angels long to look into the things that they have never been able to experience. And, and this is what I want you to understand about the kingdom of God. Th these are four divine agents. Prophets, apostles, Holy Spirit, angels. And, and, and yet God. I think one reason the angels are so mesmerized by this and why they long to look into it. Because they're thinking, man, God just uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom. Think about that. He uses ordinary people. Adam was a gardener. Ruth was a field laborer. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. David, he was a shepherd. Joseph was a carpenter. And yet God used these men and women to advance his kingdom. He takes the ordinary and he does extraordinary things with ordinary people like you and like me. And so as I read this, my heart was gripped with this, this idea that Jesus is the meaning of history. In fact, history is his story. History has a beginning and history has an end. History began when God said, in the beginning. And it will end when, behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. It has a distinct beginning and a distinct end. Meanwhile, the purpose of that history from in the beginning God created till come Lord Jesus come, the only purpose at all is salvation. Yeah. 
That's it. That's it. No other purpose but salvation. And Peter even takes time in his letter to say, hey, concerning this salvation, think about these divine agents that are involved in your salvation. That God loves you so much. He sent you prophets. He sent you Jesus. He sent you apostles. He sent the Holy Spirit from heaven. And angels are longing to look into this great salvation. So let me say this to you. If you're, if you're here today and you'd say, man, my, my, I'm just not satisfied with my life. I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. Let, let me say it like this. If Jesus is the meaning of history, until he becomes the meaning of your story, you'll never be satisfied. You have to put your faith in Christ. If you want to experience joy, peace, and satisfaction, you have to. You'll never be satisfied otherwise. You were born to be born again. Now, if you've done that, let let me remind you, we are the most blessed beings on planet Earth. In all of creation, born-again believers. So let's live like that. Let's act like that. Let's don't take this saving grace for granted. Let's not let today's good news become yesterday's old news. Let's never move beyond, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's never coast past the fact that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Let's never deviate from the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's never evolve from the truth that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's never forget that we have been forgiven. Hey, we never graduate from God's grace. Let us never lose sight of the fact that once we were blind, but now we see. Let's never let go of the fact that God will never let you go. And don't you dare let it be lost on you that you are no longer lost believer. Don't let that be lost on you. Celebrate this salvation. Proclaim it. Let it be known. Invite others to join in. Hey, understand that you have been vaccinated eternally. And don't vacate from that ever. That in Christ we are set free forever and ever. Praise God. Father, we love you and we thank you for this great salvation. God, I pray you'll put a fire in our belly. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll move us to a place where we can't help but speak of the things we've heard and seen. God, help us to to, to make you known. Father, we thank you for those men and women who are worshiping in person and online who would say, you know what, I've, I've never taken that step and put my faith and trust in Christ. But today I'm ready to do that. I understand that this... This salvation is readily available right now for me. And I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Well, if you're ready to do that, the Bible says you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And you'll be saved. You've got to believe it. You've got to turn from your sin and confess Jesus as Lord. And I encourage you to do that right now between you and the Lord. So just pray something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. To 
Today I put my faith in Jesus to save my soul. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every believer. There's somebody that we need to take this invisible grace and make it visible. That there's somebody somewhere that needs to hear about our salvation. I pray you'll give us opportunity, boldness, and compassion to do it this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, would you stand with me? We're going to worship church. I want to invite you. Uh, Josh will be down front. I want to invite you to come with any decision you made to trust Christ as your Savior, uh, to be baptized, to join the church for any kind of prayer. These steps are open. You just come and respond to the Lord today. If you're worshiping with us online and you want to talk to somebody about a, a decision that you've made, just text the name Jesus to 79969 or the word prayer to 79969. We'd love to talk with you. Let's worship, church.